All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with JT McCormick, who was born the mixed-race son of a negligent drug-dealing pimp father and a struggling single mother. He was raised in the slums of Dayton, Ohio, suffered incredible abuse, racism, and had multiple stints in the juvenile justice system. He barely graduated high school and has no college degree, and no one expected him to succeed. Yet, he's been president of two multi-million dollar companies and is currently the president and CEO of Scribe Media. He lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and four beautiful children. I am ecstatic to have you on the show, JT. Welcome. My man, Mark, I appreciate it. You know what my favorite part of the introduction is? Is wife and four children. Man, that's my favorite part. I Well, I get that. And and having chatted with you a couple times now, and even just before we hit record, um, you can feel that, right? You can feel that in your your essence. You, you feel like a gift to a, a lot of people in terms of inspiration and your mindset. And I, I can only imagine uh, you as a dad. So thank you for mentioning that. Oh yeah, man. That, like, like I said, when I, when I hear it, it just, it reaffirms for me, man, I got a family, I got, you know, a wonderful wife, four healthy children. And, and as I said to you, when, when we first started, you know, wake up in the morning, everybody's healthy. It's a great day. It's excellent. Totally. Totally. So we'll, we'll definitely jump into a bit of your backstory and some of the work that you're up to, but I, I always kick off the show with trying to understand who you are as a person or who you, how you would describe yourself. So let, let's kick it off there. Wow. How I would describe myself now or 10 years ago. Uh, now. Uh, yeah. I what, yeah. Say, what comes to mind right now? What comes to mind now is great character, integrity, great husband, the, the, the best I can possibly be. Always want to grow. Always want to learn. Great father. Um, do my best to be a, a phenomenal CEO. And I, I define that by way of making sure that I support and serve those, those individuals that allow me to lead that that's very important. Yeah. You know, if you're in leadership, you, you're, you're there because the group of people that you were quote unquote leading are allowing you to lead because if they're not happy with you as the leader, if they're not allowing you to lead, that's called a dictator. So I, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm very <laughs> proud of our, our group, our 50 people in our tribe that allow me to, to be the CEO uh, of the company. Incredible. And it's, I mean, a lot of the words you use to describe yourself, I, I, it makes sense given uh, some of the backstory and the reading I've done for the, the preparation of this show, um, which I'd love to get in because from what you just described there, I mean, you come from a, a hell of a story, right? I, I think there's a quote I lifted here where I think it's coming from your website or the back of your book, and it, it reads that like this, you can either be a rapper, athlete, or drug dealer. And and then you go on to talk about no one talked about the the fourth option, which was which was business. So why don't you yeah, just describe man. a little bit where that one line came from and where, where you came from? You know, to to this day, you know, with the, the communities that that I come from, the low economic communities. And, and let me pause there, Mark. I, I want to be very sure. clear when I say this. When I say low economic communities and I got to give a lot of love to this, this gentleman, I said that to at a conference one time and most people when i say low economic communities the first thing that comes to their mind are black or latino communities and there was a white gentleman that was with me and i said low economic communities and he said yeah i gotta admit he said i that's the first thing that comes to mind for me is when i hear low economic i think black and latino communities and i make it a point to express to people Man, don't forget about West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio. There are some poor white communities in in these places. And I I always make it a point to tell people, broke is not racist. Broke does does not discriminate, man. Broke is is, broke. Broke is broke, (laughs) man. Poor is poor. So, uh, you know, I, I come from communities, low economic communities, where you don't know what you don't know. And unfortunately, there's a lot that people don't know in those those communities. Rapper, athlete, drug dealer were the three avenues out. No one 
talked about entrepreneurship. Man, straightforward. If you would have said entrepreneurship to me when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I literally would have thought you were speaking a foreign language. No clue what an entrepreneur was. And so for me, I'm a big, like, like one of my passions right now is, is the school system and, and allow me to, to go off sure. for a second. I find it mind blowing that we know 40% of all graduating high school students, regardless of where you fall on the economic ladder, upper middle class, lower, lower class, wherever we know 40% of those students will never go to college, but we send you into the world from high school and we've not even taught you how to shake a hand. We've not taught you attention to detail. We've not taught you how to be, you know, what punctuality is. And I find it just atrocious that we as a society don't implement in the school system your freshman year, a class called show and tell. Not like my six-year-old where she takes her favorite toy and then she tells you about it. No, show me how to shake in hand. Tell me why it's important. Show me a wealth advisor. Tell me how I can become one. You can become a certified financial planner in this country and not have a degree. No one knows yeah. that. How the hell am I supposed to know that I can be a barista when there's no Starbucks in my community? And so I I'm big on, it's not always what you tell someone. It's also what you can show someone and why that's so passionate for me. Uh, my dad, when I was 10 years old, and I don't believe he ever knew this. He drove me through a community in Texas, in Houston, Texas. It was called River Oaks. It still is River Oaks. One of the most exclusive neighborhoods literally in the country. And when he drove me through there, it was the first time at 10 years old I had ever seen houses that big, five, 10, $25 million homes. And I remember saying to myself, wow, I want one of those one day. I'm going to have one of those one day. And it showed me possibility. He didn't say a word. He didn't tell me anything. He didn't say anything, yeah. but he showed me possibility. And it's just a sad piece of, of our society, the education system, that we're not showing these kids possibility. That, I mean, I, I really, I, I resonate with that. And I'm a, I'm a big visual person myself. I mean, I'm often looking for, not from a comparison standpoint, because I think that's different and that's not the message that uh, that you're trying to get out, but just there's one thing in hearing about these other worlds and there's another thing of actually seeing it and kind of feeling it. Right. I'm curious, how has that, you know, that happened in your childhood, but how has that carried forward into your adult life? It's, it's let me know that all things are, are possible when you can have, when you can see what's possible, then you know, okay, this actually can be accomplished. If, if someone else has done it, if you believe in yourself, then you know what's actually uh, available to you out there. And, and matter of fact, I'll dig a little deeper. There, there's three words I eliminated from my vocabulary as a kid, hope, wish, and luck. Hmm. When I hoped my dad would pick me up, he never showed up. When I hoped there was food in the refrigerator, it didn't produce anything. When I wish I would eat when I got home, never produced anything. Wish, wishing is the absolute worst. And so, I mean, and I'm so passionate about that, Mark, for my children, when we have birthday parties, no one is allowed to say, make a wish when you blow out the candles. No, we make a goal. And, and hmm. so I eliminated wish from my vocabulary a long time ago. And then luck, man, that's such a BS term. You know, people will say, oh, the, the $100 million lottery winner, they're so lucky. No, they bought a ticket. <laughs> that's that's yeah, what it exactly. comes down to. And so, so for me, you know, seeing possibility of what actually can be accomplished is, is so powerful in, in my opinion, because you just don't know what you can become if, if no one shows you anything. Do, when do you think the moment was, or what were the, the types of questions rolling through your mind when you made the decision that your past, because I mean, you went through a lot. Of, of experiences that most people can't even comprehend, right? I mean, we, we scratched the surface a little bit in the intro, but, uh, and I encourage people to pick up your book to, to really get a, a good grasp. But I imagine there was one point where you made the decision that that past was not going to define who you were about to become. Do you remember the type of questions that you're asking yourself to get to that point? 
you know, I, I don't know that I ever asked any questions. I can tell you that I remember specifically, and even still, I can't change the past. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, whatever happened as, as a child happened a, as a child. I can't change that. The only thing I can change is the way I view the story. So mm. I choose to look back at my life and find the positives in a lot of those negative situations. You know, my, my, my dad, uh, again, you heard me say with him driving me through, through river Oaks, but here's, here's a, a very harsh story that I took away as a positive. One of the greatest lessons that I've ever received. And it was harsh. Uh, one weekend, my dad had me on one of those rare occasions and we're walking down the frozen food aisle at a grocery store. And I, I'm, a, I'm eight or nine years old. Little girl walks by me that I go to school with. She says, hi, Javon. Javon's my real name. And I didn't say anything. I was extremely shy as a kid. Man, I feel this hmm. massive blow to the back of my head, Mark. And my face, my face hits the ground. And my nose is bleeding. I get snatched up and I'm pinned up against the frozen food door. And my dad's forearms in my neck. And he's like two inches from my face. And he says to me, I don't care who it is. You show respect. Be kind. And say hello to everyone. Now, wow. <laughs> the damnedest thing, we had just finished collecting money from prostitutes like 30 minutes earlier. And so, yeah, so to get <laughs> right, so to get this lesson, which was invaluable, uh, was, was incredible. So, so to this day, like I said, I can choose to look back and I can say, Oh, my dad was so harsh. And look, look what he did to me. He made me my nose bleed. No, my dad gave me one of the greatest lessons ever in my life. And that's how I choose to look at it. So I never really asked myself any questions about my past. I just said, it's my past. And I can choose to view the story as a victim, or I can choose to view the story as here are all the reasons why you should be successful. So many people will say to me, oh, JT, you had every reason not to succeed. And I'll say to them, or I had every reason to succeed because I went through some shit that to this day, man, in, in business, I, I can handle all of this. Try, try, yeah, yeah. try being left in a house for three weeks with your siblings and no one's coming for you. That stress Trying to yeah. figure out how we're going to close the next deal, how we're going to grow the company, attract great people to our company. Oh, man, that's that's quite a bit easier. No kidding. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of of that perspective, but that's so true. I mean, you've you've been conditioned to to succeed in in the environment that you're in. Essentially, it, it's like when you what, what's coming to mind for me. It's like when someone trains for you know like an ultra marathon or something like that it's it's all of the the work up front and the training even though you may have not you know seen that uh, you know as a kid and obviously it was a really harsh situation and um probably not recommending for people to take that <laughs> route but that you know <laughs> that was your route but essentially it's like that you know it's the 13 week training program that a marathon runner would go through, for example, to prepare them for the big race. And, you know, for you, the big race was the rest of your life, essentially. Oh, to totally. It's, I, I look at how I grew up in chaos and the chaos that I grew up in prepared me for business. Because if you really look at business, it's very structured, it's consistent and I did not grow up in a structured and consistent environment. So for me, I know, okay, if we do this in business, we pull this lever, that will happen. Income statements, balance sheets, KPIs, all those things are very consistent that you can put measurements around. Man, I couldn't put measurements and consistency around what I was growing up in. Some days I didn't know if I was going to eat. Some weeks, my mom only had $2 to make it through the week. There were days where I had to pull food out of the trash can. So now in business, oh man, it's, this is, this is peaceful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I do want to ask a little bit about the, your, your business world or, or life, because the other really interesting thing that I've noticed just, just doing the research was that, you know, you were you were an investing, but not an investor. You're running a tech company, but not 
uh, someone coming from a tech background. Then you enter into publishing at the time, not an author. I mean, you've 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 got the book now, but there seems to be a bit of a theme there of <laughs> jumping right, jumping into these initiatives like almost cold turkey, zero experience, and being very successful at them. So I'm curious, like what. I guess what are some of the the, the whether the questions or what are the what are some of the initial practices or things that you do when you enter into such a foreign territory like that? Like how do you start in those consume, worlds? Consume consume myself with everything to to learn uh, around me. Uh, I'll give you uh, the quick story since you started with investing first. Man, my my second job, I was 18 years old and I was the mailboy at an insurance company. So my role was to file papers and deliver mail in my basket all day. Well, one day I'm walking past a conference room and there's a sign that says free lunch and learn 401k. Well, I had no clue what the hell a 401k was, but I knew what a free lunch was. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. so I said, well, wait a minute, they're giving away free lunch. I'm, I'll go sit in this for and, and get a free lunch. And man, I heard two of the greatest words in the history of mankind, compound interest. And I was hooked. Mm. And when someone showed me that you can take 100 and turn it into 200 and take five and turn it into 1,000, so on and so forth, man, I was hooked. And I consumed myself with everything that I could possibly learn as it pertains to, to investing. And here's the damnedest thing, Mark. I'm the uh, beneficiary of the internet. So I've been alive during the internet where everything is on the internet. Every publicly traded company, their quarterly earnings are on the internet, their annual report on the internet. So it became amazing to me that if you studied enough and consumed this information, you could teach yourself how to invest and make money and, and secure your financial future. And it's the damnedest thing to me. I'll go off on a tangent here for a second. People yeah. will spend the weekend binge watching Game of Thrones, which doesn't do a damn thing for you. But when's the last time you heard someone say, oh, my God, we binge studied our 401k the whole weekend. Nobody, <laughs> nobody says that. And so yeah. for me, I just consume myself with those things. When, when I started at the software company, man, I knew nothing about software. Truth be told, I, I still know very, very little about it, but I, I understood and taught myself what I was selling and, and how to sell it. And, you know, went from the lowest paid person in the software company to the president within two and a half years. And fortunately I was surrounded by incredibly smart people, but yeah, I had to teach my I had to teach myself how to sell software. What was it I was selling? And then at that point, once we had scaled the company, I'd been there five years. Here I am at the publishing company now. And truth be told, can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. Damn sure can't spell. <laughs> you know, one one of my top three people I, I want to meet in this this lifetime is the man or woman who created spell check. Because good God, you've been influential <laughs> in my career. Thank you. Um, I second that. <laughs> right, right. So but you know, it's, um, I understand the business part. And as far as leadership rules, CEO, what, what, you know, all that stuff, uh, my, my three leadership rules are, are as follows. Number one, surround the company with people far smarter than yourself. Number two, surround yourself with people far smarter than yourself. And then number three, repeat rules one and two that there you go. That's my leadership <laughs> philosophy. It's all I got. Uh, I so yeah, it, it's, I, I've just consumed myself with whatever I'm involved in and, and, and I won't go long winded, but I'll, I'll wrap up with this as well. For, for me, here's one of the very important pieces. Everyone's out there yelling work-life balance, work-life balance. You know, it's all over the, the internet, blog posts, LinkedIn, wherever work-life balance. Everyone jumps on the work part of that equation. Oh, the four day work week, don't work 50, 60 hours. Don't pick up your phone first thing in the morning. Everyone hits the work piece of it. No one talks about the life side of it. No one says, hey, how about you not go to the bar Thursday through Sunday and have the audacity to wake up on Monday pissed off because you don't like your job? How about if yeah. you want to lose some weight, you actually follow through and go to the gym? How about you not binge watch all damn weekend? No one wants to talk about the life side of it. So for me, 
what I did, because I don't believe in work-life balance. It's just life. It is it's what life. it is. Yeah, I agree. So I picked out my five pillars in life. God, health, family, business, and investing. If it doesn't fall in those five, within those five pillars, I don't do it. I love golf, love golf. But right now, none of my kids know how to play golf. Once they all know how, well, then we're going to play some golf. But right now, yeah. I, I'd rather take that four and a half hours and spend with my children to go on the golf course. So if it doesn't fall within my five pillars, I don't do it. That's interesting. I, I love that concept. And I totally agree with you. I mean, there's just, it's all placed on on work, right? It's just, oh yeah, you're putting in the 12, 14 hour days, this, that. And what, what about the whole other half of the day, right? That no one's talking about. So I appreciate you bringing that up. It was the funny, Mark. I, 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 I got to share this with you real quick. I remember one time I heard a gentleman say this to me. And man, I, it was the one of the greatest things I'd ever heard. He said, I only work half days. And <laughs> immediately I'm like, oh, you lazy bastard. And he yeah. goes, yeah, I only, I, I only work half days. Uh, pick, pick which 12 you want to work. And I was like, oh, that's genius. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. So I went from lazy bastard to, wow, that is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I'm not surprised with your pillars, at least as they stand right now, is the other thing. I mean, we talked a little bit about it um, from the opening of the of the show, just about you and, and the family and your wife and your four kids. I mean, I, as I was saying, I have a uh, three, but he's almost four, four year old, one, one of those children on my side. And it's, it's a, it's a hell of a, a show over here. <laughs> you know, So I can't imagine four yet at the same time, you know, you performing at the, the top of your, your abilities and still learning and consuming and being curious, all of that. So is, is it really for you about setting these pillars and like, when do you review those? When did they shift? Like, how, how does that process look for you? You know, I, I did my best to pick five pillars that I feel will represent who I am and what I want from now to, to, you know, the, the rest of my life. And so I, I didn't want to pick pillars that I felt that, uh, you know, I'm going to revisit these in, in 10 years. You know, I, I, I gotcha. you know, God's God's number one health is, is number two. And a lot of people are shocked when I say health is number two and not family. And, and the reason being is, well, if I'm not healthy, I can't be here for my family. So, uh, oh, totally. I, you know, so God, but you're back. Right. Oxygen mask on so, first, right. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So God health, family. I always want, you know, my, my, my wife uh, to, to really dig into this. How many times have we heard this phrase? This is just putrid people. I've, I've heard this phrase for every great man, there's an even greater woman behind him. And I think that's just, just such a crappy comment because my wife's never been behind me. When I got married, she actually was standing right next to me. She wasn't standing behind me. So yeah. my wife has been there and accepted me. All this baggage that I came with, this fractured past, this chaotic childhood, my wife's been by my side through, through it all. So my wife will never be behind me. So mm -hmm. I, I just think that's a, a horrible way to define... Uh, a great relationship or a great man or, or, or a great woman. No, my wife has been by my side through it all. She's never been behind me. So again, my, my five pillars, I believe will represent me uh, for the rest of my life. God, health, family, you know, my, my wife's going to be with me. I'll have children. Uh, God willing, I'll have a, a ton of grandchildren. So family, and then sure. I, I love business, man. I love scale. I love leadership. I love growth. Uh, I want to be like Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner. Man, that guy's 96 years old. I watched him in an interview the other day, Mark. Man, he's got on glasses that are so thick. I swear he can see the future. And, yeah. <laughs> and he just says whatever he wants. And he's still in the game. He's still out there doing it. So is Warren Buffett. So God, health, family, business, and investing, those are my pillars. Love it. I want to pivot a little bit to the reason for writing the book. And again, as someone that 
wasn't an author before that experience, just to understand a little bit about what you learned about yourself going through that that whole process. But just to back it up, you know, why why did you feel important to write a book in the first place? So the only reason, the only reason I decided to write that book was so my children would have a legacy piece. You know, my father was, as you said, my father was a black pimp and drug dealer in the 70s. He fathered 23 children. My mother was an orphan. She grew up in an orphanage. I have my mother's last name, but we don't know where the last name comes from. She was given that last name in the orphanage. No clue where it came from and why she has it. So I have this last name still that I don't know where it comes from. It was very important for me that my children have a legacy piece. You know, I was, I've always been intrigued by the, the Kennedys, the, the Ford family that, you know, they can Anheuser-Busch yeah. family, they can trace five, six generations, man, I can't track 30 minutes. And so it was important for my children to have that legacy piece. I never wanted that book to be public because of some of the horrific stories in there because of my past things that I did not want people to know about me. But through a lot of encouragement, through my co-founders, from, from my wife, we decided to make the book public and the book kind of took on a life of its own. But I did that book solely so my children would know where their father came from. Interesting. I, I get it. I, it. That makes total sense. Um, I'm wondering, though, JT, just even going through and reliving some of those experiences to get, get them out on paper um, in that format was it i'm trying to think of the best words to use like was it was it almost like a a therapeutic experience or just a you know to actually process some of that or just a nightmare to to dive back into that <laughs> all the above man <laughs> it, it was it was a nightmare there were tears a lot of tears because I was digging back to stories that, I mean, there, there's several stories in there, man, that I swore were going to stay chained up in a, in a box at the bottom of the Atlantic ocean. And yeah. here I was, okay, if I really want my children to know this is who their father is, this is what he went through. This is who he became up until the point we did the book. I got to, really open up and, and share the part in the book where it says dad was a monster in relationships, couldn't hold a relationship, didn't know how to treat women. Dad was a monster. I had to share that. Um, there's some really harsh stories that uh, were very hard to relive, to go back to. But to your point, yes, it was very th therapeutic. And at times, uh, I got to be this part too, it was fun. My my scribe that helped me write the book, uh, her name's Amanda, and it was so fun. This is why. When you work with a scribe, they pull the content from you. So they're pulling the stories from you and the details. What was so fun about working with Amanda, she doesn't come from the world that I come from. Amanda grew up in Vermont in in her fam in her family summers in Maine. I remember yeah. she told me that. I go. <laughs> I didn't oh, even shit. know summer like was a thing. Like I, I thought it was a, a season. What do you mean you summer in, in Maine? <laughs> and so, but what, what was interesting and, and I, I don't know if I can say this so you can bleep it out if you want. I remember when I was giving Amanda stories and I told her that my dad, because he was a pimp, I said, yeah, my dad's bottom bitch. And he, she was like, what, 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 what is a bottom bitch? And, and, and for me, it was just like, for the same as her submarine in Maine, bottom bitch. It was the same thing for yeah. me. You know? So I had to explain to her what a bottom bitch was. So it was fun at the same time because she would go back and share these stories with her family and her family was like, who are you working with? And so uh, I, I had some fun with it as well. And that was, was good. But from now doing keynote speeches and, and the book, uh, very therapeutic. A lot of that is just off of my shoulders. And, and I'll give you the last piece here. There's a page in the book that's my favorite page. It says, my name is Javon Thomas McCormick. My father was a pimp and drug dealer. My mother was an orphan. I don't know where my last name comes from. I barely have a high school diploma. I have no college degree. This is who I am. 
And because I spent so many years not wanting people to know my background and just whatever people thought, I just ran with. If you thought I was Puerto Rican, great, I'm Puerto Rican. If you thought I was Mexican, I'll, I'll be that too. If you thought I had an MBA, sweet, let's run with that. So <laughs> I, I was whatever I needed to be to get to wherever I wanted to go. Yeah, and but now you're standing in, in the exact person you are or where you came from. Exactly. That's fascinating, yeah. Did it stimulate, do you want to write another book? Did it stimulate that? So that man, process, you, you, you asked the question, so I'll, I'll put out, so we're in the process of doing one now and what I'll give you the premise. It's sure. going to be lessons. What JT, cause, cause you know, I go by JT, but my yeah. real name's Javon lessons that JT would give a younger Javon in business. Yeah. So I didn't know this. So this is not a planted question. But, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to this. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that, I'm 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 excited about that one uh, because there's so much that I've learned throughout my career, mistakes that I've made, things I shouldn't have done, uh, sure. a, few, a few successes along the way that I would have very much appreciated knowing back in my early 20s. Amazing, and I imagine it's got to be it's probably a very different experience. Like oh. you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, slightly, just just a tad bit, especially yeah. I, like I said, man, the the book harsh stories in there, man. You know, uh, I remember real fast. I remember when I first got the manuscript and I started reading the, the, the chap, one of the chapters, and it started talking about this five-year-old little boy who was standing in the window waiting for his father. I was so detached from the story. I remember saying to myself, oh man, that poor kid. And it hit me. I was like, oh damn, that was, that's me. That's mm -hmm. me that I'm reading about. Uh, it, it was, yeah, very, very, mm, it, it was rough, man. It was rough, rough to do that book. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And I mean, I have to, you know, I really have to acknowledge and, and, and thank you for going through that process on behalf of myself and everyone listening, because, you know, there's just so many great lessons and, and great things to come from sharing that experience and I imagine for you as well personally but all, all of us looking in from the outside so as, as hard as it was um you know huge thanks I appreciate that I, I do that it means it means a lot I, especially one of the things that I actually appreciate the most it's funny the people I did the book for aren't old enough to read the book uh you know they can't I, I won't yeah. let my, my children read that book until they're probably 12 um but the feedback that I've received from it, the, the emails, the, the messages, it's, it's incredible that the story has meant something to other people or they've have found value or, or took something from the book. That's, that's been amazing to me because I've always looked at it as I just had a jacked up uh, childhood and I'm a guy who worked hard and, and didn't want to settle and refused to be a victim. Yeah, totally. We've definitely been chatting about the way your mind is set up and how you think, but I'd like to definitely go a little bit further on that because I'm, I'm curious. I mean, the, this show, there's a, a big aspect of it is around mental fitness and, you know, however anyone just def defines that, I really don't care. It's really just for me, it's, it's how you keep your mind clear and how you train it just like you would your, your body. So I'm, I'm curious how do you keep your mind clear? I mean, you've, you're coming packed with a lot of backstory. Um, you're busy, a busy guy. You're doing a lot of things in this world. You have a big family, all of that. I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts. So I'm curious, how are you keeping that mind somewhat clear so you can see the steps in front of you and um, make the decisions you want to make and, and so forth? I don't, I don't know, Mark, that I would necessarily say for me that I keep my mind clear, but my mental fitness for me sure. is I, I would call mine perspective. I keep my mind in perspective versus clear. And what, what mm. I mean by that, you know, this, when we, we got on the, 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 the podcast here, first thing you asked me, Hey, how's it going? I said, Hey, I woke up this morning. My kids are healthy. Life is excellent. If you wake yeah. up in the morning and, and your feet hit the ground, man, you got to be excellent. That's, a, that's an excellent day because someone did not wake up this morning. Yeah. So I keep it in perspective, man. I, I never, I, I do my best. You know, I'm human. 
I do my best to not lose perspective of life. And, and I'll go down this path, if you will. Right now, I am big on what I call the one mile radius. You know, we're human. We have our days. You know, we, you know, oh, a tough day, strenuous day, a stressful day. This happened to me, blah, blah, blah. But I, I live by this one mile radius rule. When you think things are bad, when thing, the, the world is coming down on you and it's not fair, go stand outside your house or your office and within a one mile radius, somebody will trade places with you. So mm. I, I keep perspective of that, man. And then I, I go even deeper with it. I, I'll say to myself, regardless, Mark and I, I mean this passionately, regardless of where somebody falls politically, I don't care, Democrat, Republican, put all that to the side. There's a single mom with two kids right now walking 1,100 miles from Honduras attempting to get into this country to create an opportunity for herself. Man, on my worst day of being sexually molested, on my worst day of being left in a house for three weeks, on my worst day uh, of being uh, watching my mom go through uh, being called nigger lover, I've never had to face walking 1,100 miles from Honduras to try to get into a country to create an opportunity for myself. I was born here. So on my yeah. worst day, I still have a leg up and I keep it all in perspective, man. And, and I'll give you this last piece to this. <clears throat> my wife and I took our four kids to Disney World. And I may have shared this with you. Uh, we took our kids to Disney World back in November. And, and my kids are six, four, two, and one. And we went for nine days, man. I don't care who Whoa. you are. Yeah. You go to Disney world for nine days with kids that age, there's going to be some meltdowns. So on this one, one of the days that we're there, you know, we were at the magic kingdom. And at this moment, it wasn't too magical, but my four-year-old was having a meltdown. My six-year-old wanted to go ride another ride. Uh, the one-year-old he's wanting to eat and the two-year-old, well, she's just hanging out and she's good. But my four-year-old was having a complete meltdown. And my wife is stressed. I, I'm getting worked up. And I just told my wife, I said, stop. I said, look to the left right now. And there was a family with a child that had severe cerebral palsy. And they were mm -hmm. picking this child up and putting them onto the ride. And I told my wife, I said, look at this. Our little, our boy, Jackson, our, our little guy. I said, this is 20 minutes. I said, that is forever. I said, they're always going to have to pick that child up, brush that child's teeth change that child's diaper, uh, care for them always. I said, we'll get through this 20 minutes. So sometimes yeah, in those, what we've, what, what we're exactly what we call the hard moments. It's up to us as individuals, as humans to check ourselves and say, Hey, I got to keep this in perspective. Beautifully said. And it's, you know, it, it's so easy for us to to overlook that, right? Because, you know, the more we live in, and I'm speaking in, in developed countries, North America, Europe, wherever, where we're, we're, to your point, born into a lot of these privileges and you, you take them for granted, right? So it's just a really nice reminder. I like the the one mile radius thing um, to just, again, stop, come out of the autopilot that you're on and just look around a little bit and have a little bit of gratitude, right? Totally, man. I mean, small things. When you wake up in the morning, you woke up. That's that's the first piece of gratitude. I woke up this morning. And here, here's a real small one. Uh, this one always makes me smile. When you turn on the light switch, when you turn on the light switch and the lights come on. Man, I grew up in yeah. times where the lights didn't always come on. And there wasn't always running water in the house. So, man, I am always grateful when I turn that knob and the, and the water comes flowing out or you flush the toilet and it actually works. Man small things uh, of gratitude just show appreciation be grateful for what what we do have where we live in this society where we're always chasing what we don't have or what someone else has but rarely do we take the time enough time to be grateful for the things that we do have did did someone instill that this type of thinking in you throughout your journey at one point or is this just something that you know came naturally for you because it's not it, it's not not everyone thinks like that right or people do a lot of work to um get to that point there's a i mean there's whole industries around you know meditation and this and gratitude and, and whatnot right i know it's crazy 
And they're like, I'm like, wow, they have business models around that. Um, you know, it's something that I will say developed over time, but I will say this. It's also a choice in the moment. You have a sure. choice. Do you want to be positive or do you want to be negative? And what I have learned is it's a hell of a lot easier to be positive than it is to be negative. It's actually hard to be a negative person. And, but to smile, say hello to everyone, be kind. That's not hard to be positive. Yeah. See, see the benefits of, of life. Oh my God. That that's so much easier than being negative. Even this man, I, I don't want to, some people, this may rub the wrong way. So be it. Even being homeless in this country is easier than some of these third world countries where they have to walk three miles to drink contaminated water in our country being homeless. I mean, you can stand out on some of these corners, make a few dollars and then go buy a bottled water. Woohoo! It's look yeah. at the positives uh, of life. And like I said, man, I, I am human. Don't get me wrong. I, I have my days and Mark, I'll share. Let me share this quick one with you. Because I do want people to understand this doesn't just, you know, it's, it's a choice. It doesn't just happen automatically. I have to choose to be in this mindset. La this past Christmas, I left the office early, said, okay, I'm going to go home early, spend time with the kids. We're going to watch uh, Christmas cartoons. We're going to make some popcorn. Woohoo. And it, here in Austin, it was probably about 33 degrees. So, you know, we say it's cold here at 33 degrees. <laughs> and so I'm driving home. It's raining. And I hit traffic, man. And when I say I hit traffic, I literally had to put the car in park. Oh, and okay. I was livid because I had left early to try to get home. So I text my wife and I say, you know, I'm pissed off. I'm about to lose my temper. And man, the moment I started setting my phone down, I said to myself, you ungrateful bastard. You, you mm. grew up riding the bus. You grew up wearing bread bags on your feet to keep them dry in the snow because you had holes in your shoes. You grew up not having enough money to ride the bus. Here you are sitting in a six-figure car driving to a gated community with four healthy children and your little punk ass is going to sit here and be upset because you're stuck in traffic. Man, I turned on Christmas music and sang joy to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. I mean, here where I'm sitting in Toronto, Canada, it's probably the worst place for traffic in, in Canada. So I'm going to use that one. That's uh, yeah, it's right back to perspective. Yeah, right. Man. And just it just catching yourself uh, in those moments. And I, I like the the fact that, you know, you're admitting you're human, obviously, like like all of us. And we all go up and down and, and these thoughts pass through. But the key is to, to catch them. Right. And, and just take a moment to reflect on that. So exactly. I love it. I, I want to start wrapping, uh, JT, just maybe to get a little bit into your routine. I know you're you're a morning guy, 3.45, 4, 4 a.m. wake up type of scenario. That's pretty damn early. Um, <laughs> and I'm a 5.30-ish guy, which I think is early. But I'm just curious, just um, what I have found very helpful for listeners of the show and, and the feedback we get is just, it's not about being prescriptive on routines. It's that there might be one thing that you're doing that someone listening is, you know what, I, I'd like to try that, like that resonates or that works with my life. And that's what I'm personally trying to put out there along with all the reflective questions and whatnot that we've talked about. So yeah, what's that, what's that early morning quiet look like for you? Man, I, let, let me... I'll give you that answer. And I, I want to say this as well, because this goes back to that human piece. You you mentioned how, how early I get up. I fortunately or unfortunately, how some, however you want to see this, because it, it did have its place for me. I was one of those individuals who lived by the quote unquote, the hustle. And I used to grind off three, four hours of sleep. And what I found, it, it was dangerous because I found some, some success while only three sleeping three and four hours. So I believed and convinced myself that, oh, three, three and four hours, that's, that's the ticket. That's the way to go. And you've got a lot mm -hmm. of people out there yelling right now, the, the so-called motivational speakers, I don't sleep when you're asleep, I'm working, I'm doing, and I'm like, come on, man. Uh, what I yeah. have figured out is, and it took me time, didn't happen overnight. It is very 
productive and I'm even more productive in getting at least six hours of sleep a night. Now I'm not an eight hour guy, but six hours is so beneficial for me. So all these people that are running around saying don't sleep, I'm calling bullshit because you can truly be more productive and get more accomplished with those two, three, four extra hours of sleep. So that's first and foremost. Now I do get up at four in the morning and the first thing I do, literally first thing I do when I open my eyes, gratitude. Thank you for waking me up this morning. I'm, I'm a God guy. You know, I got my five pillars, God, health, family, business, and investing. And so gratitude for, for waking up that morning. And then I go and I say my prayers. I usually say my prayers and, and give gratitude for a healthy family, a home, uh, and, and thankful for, for another day and, and thankful that I'm successful and I'll continue to be, be successful. So I, I spend 30 minutes in, in prayer. Some people may spend 30 in, in meditation. Sure. Uh, then from there, man, I head off to the gym to, to work out. I work out for hour, hour and a half. Uh, come back home and spend time with with the kids before they're off to school, help get them dressed, help uh, feed, you know, we're we're corralling four kids. And first thing in the morning, man, it's, it's, it's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you think uh, shit's going down at the club on a Friday night, come to my house on on a Tuesday morning, you know? So um, it's, you know, getting the, the kids off to school and, and again, showing gratitude, you know, my kids are the, the two oldest ones are, are incredibly blessed. They get to go to private Christian school. And I went to schools where you weren't even allowed to bring your books home at night. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that they have the opportunities that they have, but that's generally my, my morning, man, that I'm off to the, to the office and, you know, study my craft, study leadership, growth, business, uh, and yeah, and when just, you get that kind of um, reading and whatnot in, like, do you do you try to mix it in in the day or evening or morning or in, in the morning and the evening? Yeah. You know, if we, we get the kids down, it's eight o'clock. Uh, my, my wife may have something she wants to do. So I'll sit and, and do a little bit of study. And but I also make sure to, to squeeze it in wherever I can. If, if the kids, for whatever reason, the, the two youngest are taking a nap and the two oldest decide they want to play in the backyard. Okay, great. You know, let me squeeze in 30 minutes, but I, I do my best to maximize my, my time. And again, binge watching is not maximizing my time. You know, it, yeah. it's, I, I can't stress it enough. You, you never, you've never heard someone say I've been studied my 401k all weekend. And, and so uh, I, I choose to maximize the the time that I have. And, and I, I really appreciate those individuals who will call out. We all have the same amount of time in a day. It all comes down to how do you utilize that time? Love it. Last question for you, partner. What Are there a few reflective questions that you find yourself asking or thinking about, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you're journaling on these. Or it just could, they could be floating around in your world on a frequent basis, or when you're you know making big decisions that you could leave um, with us to help just prompt and and you know shift perspective or bring in a different um, light to what may be going on in someone's life. You know, the, the big one, I, I would say, especially now that we live in a social media world, is don't let social media define success for you. So many people look at what other people have, and they're allowing Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, to uh, define what success looks looks like for, for them. You know, uh, mm-hmm. 10, 20 hundred million dollars, that may not be success for some people. So you, you have to ask yourself, what, do, what are my five pillars? What are my three pillars? What, whatever it is. And, and how do I define success? And so it's not always the big cars, the house, the, the, the money, it, it's not always those things. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to define success for yourself. So for me, I'm, I'm constantly saying, okay, uh, each day I, I have to remind myself, okay, you're, you're successful um, and, and not continuously want to chase, okay, you, you got 10, now you want to go to 20, now you want to go to 50 million, now you want to go to 100, yeah. you know, 
no, man, I've got four healthy children. I got a, a wonderful, beautiful, healthy wife, incredible home, great company, great career. Um, people have me on podcasts to hear things that come out of my mouth, still trying to figure that one out. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I, I look and make sure that I'm defining success for myself and not allowing someone else to do it for me. Yeah, that's a great, great, great question. It's, um, especially to your point in today's world, it's just so, we just live in a loop of comparison all the time. And it, a lot of people talk about it, but it, it doesn't seem to sink in. It's still, it, it's like, oh, if you're comparing against someone's highlight, you know, wheel, then um, th that's obviously not, that's not the right thing to do, but we still do it. Or a lot of people still do it. So yeah. I think it's just a great way to just pull back completely and start right, right at the beginning, right? Or right at the basics. Like to your point, what does success mean for me personally? You know, what's totally. going to light me up? And I love the idea of those, those core pillars. I'm going to use, I have a few of those when I, when I do my goal setting, but you've provided some good reflection, I think, um, for me to, to shift those around as well. And Mark, hey, you, you know, one, one more thing I, I would say this as well especially again in the social media we world we live in linkedin blog posts twitter whatever i find it interesting you've heard this i'm sure all of your listeners have heard this i find it interesting we live in a society where we say we learn the most from our mistakes but it's interesting that no one shares their mistakes it's the, it's the damnedest thing to me it is if go go to any blog post uh, social media and you can find almost instantly top five things Jeff Bezos does to be successful top 10 things Steve Jobs did to be successful I don't give a damn about their top 10 or top five successes share with me your top 10 mistakes and yeah. so I, I know for me especially coming from where I come from in life I do my best to share my mistakes especially with with our tribe there's there's 50 people in the company now I, my, my leadership style is let me share my mistakes with you. Let me share the things that, that I've learned by way of my mistakes. And I just think it's such a hypocritical society we live in that we have the audacity to say, you know, we learn the most from our mistakes, but no one is sharing their mistakes. So I, I would say to people as well, share your mistakes so other people can learn and grow from them. I love it. And I, I mean, I want to just thank you for sharing this story and and sharing what you've picked up along the way because it's again obviously perspective for me is what really comes to mind throughout this whole conversation and it's such a powerful i, I want to call it a tool you know it's a bit of a, a hidden superpower if you can tap into perspective you you can really handle a lot of things that are thrown at us including all these self narratives that we have running in, in our heads that a lot of the times and what we're seeing, what we're experiencing. So thank you so much for your time and, and being gracious and leaving these, these nuggets for us. Excellent. Mark, I greatly appreciate it, sir. Humbled and flattered to, to be on. And, and again, thank you for the invite. Have the best day yet. Take care, man.